Hello, everyone, and welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about a variety of things, including the conclusion of the NBA season, the NFL ramping up at full speed, our very successful betting segment, Jack's Pack. We'll talk about the MLB, and then we'll have our best for last segment. Now, again, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And the show has a Twitter page that operates and breaks down a bunch of breaking news at JTime Sports, all caps. Now sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and welcome in to the show. Now, I predicted last week that by the time we got to this show, the Lakers would be champions. My prediction was correct, so pat on the back to me. I did a great job starting out. Although my original prediction of Lakers in five was dethroned by two magnificent Jimmy Butler games. Obviously, you guys know about the 40-point triple-double that won a game for the Heat. And then he turns around in game five and has another amazing game. Not quite as good as the first one, but still an amazing game that staves off a great LeBron game in which people thought LeBron was trying to end it quickly in game five. Jimmy Butler just kept going. At one point, they were going shot for shot, and it was a great battle all the way down the stretch in game five, leading a few people, and I do mean a few, to say, hey, if the Heat win game six, the Lakers are in dire trouble in game seven, because then you tell Jimmy Butler, hey, you're 48 minutes from coming back 3-1, winning a championship when nobody thought you were even good for a locker room, a bunch of other things, and from effectively, permanently, ending the GOAT conversation for LeBron James and even sliding him further down from where I have him at one. A lot of people have him at two, three. Some people have him at one as well. From sliding him down maybe even four, five, because now he's three and seven. And he would have lost to a team whose best player was a 20-point-per-game scorer who had two players injured during the finals, and you would have blown a 3-1 lead. It would have just been a lot um, for negativity towards LeBron James in terms of his legacy and a big blow. I mean, you had guys like Stephen A. Smith talking about he better not lose this series before it even started because of the massive hit it would take to his legacy. But we'll talk about that a little later. But Jimmy Butler had an amazing game five, so did LeBron James, and it set up for what many people thought was going to be a do or die, all out scrap in game six. It was anything but. Started off that way. First few minutes was a back and forth, but you just look at that Miami Heat. I remember texting friends like, man, you can really look at the heat and see that their energy is just not there, that there's something missing. It's not necessarily a willingness to fight that's not there. It's the ability to fight. I mean, they were front rimming free throws and layups just weren't dropping and they couldn't really get the separation coming around the screens that they were getting in the previous five games. Jimmy Butler returned back to earth. His legs were completely shot, and you can tell just from the beginning of the game that the Heat were a little off, but the Lakers weren't really trouncing them yet and taking advantage. Now, there's a lot of smart coaches on the Lakers staff. Jason Kidd, Hollins, Coach Vogel, Frank Vogel, head coach, obviously. And maybe one of those guys said, hey, those guys over there are tired. So maybe we need to start pushing the pace and see if we could basically eliminate them before halftime, get rid of them before they have a chance to really go to halftime, rest, recover, and try and get a souped up fight 24 minutes to push it to a game seven. 
whatever was said worked. The Heat came out flat again after a timeout, and the Lakers went on a magnificent run and absolutely put their control and stamp on the game and ended it before halftime. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Laker Nation was celebrating. We've got our 17th championship before halftime even was close. I mean, two to three minutes left, it was a humongous gap in terms of the amount of points that was happening. I mean, the Lakers were dominating. LeBron and Anthony Davis were the best two players on the floor. Rajon Rondo was the third best player on the floor. And so when you have a big gap such as that happening on a court, there's not much you can do. And to still just see the Lakers dominate that way late. I mean, we had an issue with the Lakers early. A lot of people questioned if they had the mental fortitude to even win the championship because they thought they were the mentally weaker team. So when you look at guys like LeBron James, who has the 2011 meltdown on his resume, who has the four, five, and six game losses versus the Magic, who lost games four, five, and six against the Warriors in 2015, who's lost four, five, and six against the Boston Celtics when he was in Cleveland the first time. And so a lot of was at stake in terms of closing them out in six. Now, it went longer than most people expected. I came on last week saying I thought it was going to be a sweep. That I didn't think they were going to make it even to game five. And that's when Jim Butler had his amazing game. But then LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, Kentavious Caldwell Pope, Danny Green, Dwight Howard closes the NBA Finals out with a three from like the logo. It was just honestly ridiculous. And it was a tour de force in game six. And the Lakers have their 17th NBA championship. Now, in terms of legacy, I also spoke last week about how if LeBron were to seal off and win this championship, it puts him no lower than two. So there's not a debate whether he's six or seven or like some people like Charles Barkley, I believe, had him at 12 in terms of all time legacy. And in terms of greatness, in terms of GOAT conversation, he's no lower than two. I can concede that there's a debate between him and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Michael Jordan for number one. But in my opinion, LeBron is no lower than two. In my opinion, he's one. But it is officially a three-horse race for a GOAT with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James. Now, again, I would have LeBron one, I would have Kareem two, and I would have Michael three. I know that's mildly controversial. Usually, Michael Jordan do the one. He's definitely no lower than two on most people's lists. But I would have him at three. If you look at a total basketball career, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has just as many championships. He has six regular season MVPs. He's the all-time leading scorer. He has an unstoppable shot. And he's seven feet freaking tall in the game of basketball. That is an advantage. And so I would lean Kareem at two and Michael at three for obvious reasons. But that will wrap up the 2020 NBA season. It was longer than a year. It's the longest NBA season ever recorded. Great job to the NBA for actually pulling off the bubble without a single positive player test. So the entire hundred and some odd days the players were down there, they did not have one single test that tested positive. Now, in regards to violations, once the initial couple of violations happened with Rashawn Holmes, and there was another guy, I can't think of his name, they only had one other potential violation, which was Daniel House, in which the NBA promptly removed Daniel House from the bubble. 
Now I know when that happened, people were like, man, people are testing, you know, every day and everybody's negative in the bubble. What's the big deal? Because he apparently brought a COVID test into his room. But these those people were contracted out from a variety of sources. So they could either be NBA contracted. They could be Disney contracted. They could be somebody the NBA partnered up with and brought people in. So those people may be positive and that you just don't know. And so having them come into your room for whatever reason, nefarious or otherwise, is putting yourself at a possible risk for exposure. But congrats to the NBA for pulling this off. They spent a lot of money doing it. I know for a fact that they recouped way more money and made more money than they would have not doing this. And so they're still going to have to adjust the collective bargaining agreement, especially because free agency is expected to be possibly a mildly explosive one. And speaking on that, speaking on free agency and offseason, there is a lot happening. Obviously, there's the NBA draft. Obviously, there's NBA free agency. Now, free agency was expected to relatively be a quiet one. But anytime somebody wins a championship, you know that people want their money and that folks are going to go after their money and after those players. So speaking on the champion, Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope are all expected to opt out of their current deals. Now, Anthony Davis is expected to re-sign with the Lakers max money and i assume max years which would be the five-year contract because he got traded to the lakers he's eligible for a five-year deal with the lakers especially because he already has an all-defensive team and an all-nba first team as a member of the lakers so i expect him to re-sign there as the expectation is as first reported by sham sharanya and we were all over it on our page as well at S J Time Sports, which is the Justin Time Sports podcast page and the updates page in general. But the expectations for Anthony Davis to re-sign in Los Angeles. Now, as for K- KCP and Rajon Rondo, Rondo is expected to be pursued by several basketball teams, including the Knicks. Now, when the Knicks get after anybody, it's overpaid city. Now, the Lakers do have one max slot available. However, that is going to be a tricky spot to fill, and Rob Palenka has a major decision to make. Players like DeMar DeRozan, Hassan Whiteside, amongst others, will be available in pure free agency come free agent period. Now, along with Jeremy Grant, will also be an unrestricted free agent. Now, Rob Palenka is going to have to make a choice. Is DeMar DeRozan worth KCP and Rondo? Is Jeremy Grant worth KCP and Rondo? And what I mean by those two guys is there is no way on this planet you're going to be able to sign Jeremy Grant to $27 million a year, have $8 million left of cap space that that wouldn't go strictly to vetting men players, and then tell Rondo and KCP to split it. Because Kentavious Caldwell Pope is probably going to go make $12, $13, $14 million in the open market, if not more, after the way he played in the NBA Finals. And if the Knicks are interested at all in Rajon Rondo, his price tag is going to be anywhere from $8 to $12 million himself, which would also put him too pricey out of the Lakers' cap ability. So that'll be something definitely to watch in terms of the Lakers. Now, other players on the Lakers, Dwight Howard is expected to have interest from the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. Now, obviously, the Warriors are looking for cheap center help. They've been in that market for a while ever since they really started winning championships. Look at the champions of the past decade. A lot of those guys, sans the Toronto Raptors, have cheap centers. Miami Heat had cheap centers. They had Joel Anthony. They had Birdman Anderson. 
the Golden State Warriors had Festus Azili, they had Mo Spates, they had Andrew Bogut, they had JaVel McGee. When you look at the Lakers with Dwight Howard and JaVel McGee, those were guys who were relatively cheap. Dwight came in on a prorated non-guaranteed deal and JaVel McGee signed for very close to the minimum. And so the Y Howard will be drawing interest from teams. I'm sure Golden State can't afford to pay him all that much, especially when you look at they already have Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry making a substantial amount of money. He will draw probably something close to the vet men, but fully guaranteed when he signs it, which would be a little different than what the Lakers did with him this season, obviously having him on a non-guaranteed deal. Now, going shifting east the Bucks have a problem on their hands the Heat have noticed Giannis and apparently in 2021 will put on the full court press to lure Giannis away from Milwaukee into Miami pair him with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero Duncan Robinson possibly Jay Crowder I don't think Andre Iguodala will still be there maybe he may have another couple seasons left but who knows he's up there in age as well and those guys will form a pretty good team in the East. I mean, Giannis is a walking, what, 27 and 16, 27 and 14. Pair him with Jimmy Butler. Tyler Hero goes up a couple more years. Going Dragic can still be going Dragic. Bam out of Bayou in the middle. I mean, that's a very formidable team. And I would have them, along with Brooklyn, right at the top come two seasons from now for the Eastern Conference unless Philadelphia makes a move with Doc Rivers at the helm. Now, speaking of coaching. The coaching circle got a little bit smaller in terms of open jobs as Tyron Liu agreed to a five-year contract with the Clippers. This was marginally expected. Five years is longer than I expected. I thought he would get a three or a four, but he turned down the Lakers job because they wanted to match his contract with LeBron's contract, which at the time would have been three years. So he turned down the Lakers job, opting to go instead to the Clippers as an assistant and got his five year security with the Clippers. Now, five years places him past the end of both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's contract because both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can opt out of their contracts this season and enter free agency. So trusting Ty Lue with the process of, hey, if this if we don't win next year, Ty, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can just say, you know, we're out. And then they ultimately have Ty Lue in a rebuilding situation because if they opt out, you don't get anything for them. And the Clippers will be starting from scratch once again. Now, two interesting names that popped up in coaching circles. The Van Gundy brothers. Yes, Jeff and Stan Van Gundy are on the short list for a couple of jobs. Stan Van Gundy interviewed with the Pelicans and is one of their four finalists, along with a couple other people. Well, now I guess it's three finalists since Ty Lue has accepted the Clippers job, which was he expected to do all along. And Jeff Van Gundy is possibly returning to coaching on the sideline for the Houston Rockets. Now, he coached the Rockets during the Yao Ming era, and he's a pretty good coach. Obviously, he's very knowledgeable of the game. We hear him all the time on the broadcast, and he has interviewed with the Houston Rockets, and he's a high candidate for that job, along with John Lucas. Now... The Van Gundys both could end up back as NBA head coaches. Stan in New Orleans, I would love because he has experience working with Dwight Howard, who is a unique NBA body, very similar to what Zion Williamson is. 
and he has experience operating a small market. Obviously, New Orleans is one of the smallest NBA markets in the league. It's right down there with Memphis and Orlando, which is where Stan Van Gundy had his most success as a coach, helping Dwight Howard and guiding that team to the NBA Finals and ultimately losing to Kobe in the Finals. But having the Van Gundys back, even being considered for coaching, is great for basketball. And I hope that one, if not both, land a job. Obviously, as a Pelican fan, I would love Stan Van Gundy. His interviews would be hilarious, especially with his voice. And I think he's the kind of drill sergeant or the kind of person that can get a Zion Williamson to work harder. That can probably try and get Lonzo Ball to watch a bunch of DJ Always Theme film. It's like, this is who you should model your game after try and convince a J.J. Reddick to stay in New Orleans, even though the Pelicans broke his streak of never missing the playoffs while he was in the NBA. And so ultimately, there's be a few things to watch. Remember, the Houston Rockets, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Indiana Pacers all do not have head coaches at this time. And so that'll be something definitely to watch there. But up next, we will be shifting to the NFL and what's going down in the shield. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to talk about some NFL, what happened in week five, talk a little bit about week six, and just go through a little bit of NFL discussion. Obviously, I want to start off with sending my thoughts and prayers to Dak Prescott after his gruesome ankle injury. He suffered a compound fracture, which means the bone came through the skin, and he also suffered an ankle dislocation. Now, initial diagnosis states that he should be back four to six months in which case that he will have a chance to get back on the field in time for training camp, barring that it is a normal training camp. Now, there is some optimism. It could be a little sooner, but you know what that means. When as soon as the injury went down, your first thought was, my God, I hope he's okay. And the second thought was, what does his future hold inside of Dallas? Now, immediately, Dallas's emergency and contingency plan kicked right on in, which is QB Andy Dalton who was obviously the starter in Cincinnati for several years before they ultimately decided to move on with QB Joe Burrow. But Andy Dalton came in and looked good. Now, Andy Dalton was brought on the team originally in case of a Dak Prescott holdout or a contract disagreement in which Dak missed the first game, the first couple games, or all of the games, and kind of a prevention for what happened with ultimately with injury. But Andy Dalton was brought in, and he looked good. Career numbers-wise, they're not that different. In terms of what they did over their first X amount of starts, they're not that different. They look pretty much like the same quarterback in terms of touchdowns, interceptions, yards, passer rating. It's almost freakishly identical. The drop-off is there. I think Dak Prescott is a little better than Andy Dalton, but it's not by a whole lot. And so I expect the Dallas Cowboys to be able to stay afloat and they even won their game against the Giants thanks to a couple of Andy Dalton beautiful throws, especially the last one to Michael Gallup down the sideline. And it was Gallup makes a tremendous catch. Speaking of week five, it was a fairly mundane week in terms of what we expected to happen and what happened. Now, it might have gotten there differently. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of what we expected to happen, pretty much happened. The Houston Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars on the first game, minus Bill O'Brien. Everything looked better. Not granted, it was Jacksonville. Jacksonville is not the best team on the planet, but Houston looked better. They looked a little bit more put together, and so it was good to see that happening. 
the Rams take down the Washington football team in dominating fashion. Again, not totally surprising, but it was good to see the Rams take care of an opponent they were supposed to beat because they struggled just last week with the New York Giants. Now, speaking of the New York Giants team, like I said, they went into a war with Dallas and they showed that there are some pieces there that could be useful. Maybe not defensively, but offensively, they showed that, okay, give Daniel Jones some time and a clean pocket. He can be an effective NFL quarterback. But I mean, who in the NFL cannot do that with those conditions? Russell Wilson with the freaking drive of the year because Minnesota decided to play analytic football and go for it on fourth and one instead of kicking a field goal to go up eight. And Russell Wilson through a rainstorm, a drop pass, miscommunication. I'm not even sure his headset was working. We found out later his headset doesn't work sometimes and leads them on a drive right down the field to score a touchdown to DK Metcalf. We had Tuesday night football. I mean, that was a treat. We had a dominating performance by the Tennessee Titans over a team in the Buffalo Bills that many were starting to believe in. The Josh Allen MVP hype train was through an all-time high, and the Tennessee Titans summarily snuffed that by dominating the Buffalo Bills on Tuesday night after the Titans' massive COVID outbreak. Thursday night football was a show. It was Nick Foles versus Tom Brady. It doesn't get much more Super Bowl-y than that because those two guys obviously has a history in Super Bowls and it ended about as weird as a football game can end. I spoke about it last week after the game, but Tom Brady forgetting the down or he's appearing to has led to him trolling himself amongst many others trolling him. But what a way to end a football game. The Pittsburgh Steelers, congratulations. You found your new star receiver. His name is Chase Claypool. He caught four touchdown passes over the Philadelphia Eagles, even leading him to troll a little bit because he got a Photoshop copy of Tom Brady holding up the four to signal fourth down with a Photoshop of his head on Brady's body, signalizing that, yeah, I went for four. Even for four touchdowns, I'm sure there has to be a rookie record or close to one. I mean, what rookie you know goes for four touchdown passes? It just seems like Pittsburgh always has a good wide receiver. Heinz Ward, Antonio Brown, now there's Jay Claypool, that was Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, they always seem to have very good talent out wide at receiver. Now, in regards to the Chiefs, they lost for the first time since November of last season. They lost a football game to the Oakland Raiders team in a very Chiefs-like fashion. The old problems of the Kansas City Chiefs reared its ugly head. And defensively, they just weren't good at all. Um, Patrick Mahomes tried to come back, but they've been digging themselves holes the past few weeks, and they've been digging out of them. But this was a game that they could not dig out of when the oh late Las Vegas Raiders, sorry, took advantage of them and won the game. Atlanta fired everybody following their loss. They fired the head coach, the GM, the defensive coordinator got promoted, Raheem Morris, the head coach, the special team coordinator got fired. It just looked like Arthur Blank was waiting on the final straw and he housed the entire organization. And with that being said, we're going to move on to week six. Now, week six already had a schedule adjustment due to Tennessee's COVID outbreak. Obviously, there's Thursday Night Football on every week except for this week because it was supposed to be the Buffalo Bills facing the Kansas City Chiefs 
This would have been very interesting had the outbreak not happened. They both would have come off losses. So that would have been a very interesting on a short week to try and rectify those problems that each team had. But the game was moved to Sunday, which means there's no Thursday night football. In regards to that, though, we have a few very interesting games on the slate. Atlanta is facing Minnesota, which is a struggling, very struggling Minnesota football team. And Atlanta obviously is still winless. And they are in their first game minus their head coach and special teams coordinator and GM. And we'll see how that goes. Tennessee won their game. We're going to see if the Atlanta Falcons can win their first game without their coach. Cam Newton is back for the New England Patriots, along with Stephon Gilmore. Their game got canceled last week due to COVID adjustments and maneuvering. And so it'll, it allowed the Patriots to only lose their defensive player of the year and their QB1 for only one game. So that was a blessing there for the Patriots in terms of things getting moved and maneuvered around. Oh, sorry, update. The Chiefs and Bills got moved to Monday afternoon. It will precede the Cardinals and Cowboys Monday night game. It will be on NFL Network. My apologies there. We've got the Rams and the 49ers in a division game. And then the biggest game of the weekend, in my opinion, and I think everybody's opinion, the Green Bay Packers versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, as it sits, the Buccaneers are a one-point underdog. This would not be in Jack's pack. There's no reason I'm exposing that now. But it is the second window on Fox. It is the Fox game of the week, and that is going to be a shootout between two of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. Obviously, I hold Tom Brady as the GOAT, but Aaron Rodgers has a case for the most efficient quarterback of all time. And if you look at any of the advanced analytics, it definitely points to that. Although Russell Wilson is starting to build a case towards that very role and that very title because of his ability to throw a lot of touchdowns and not a lot of incompletions or interceptions. The Steelers and the Browns is another huge game because the winner of that game has first place in the AFC North. The Steelers are 4-0 because they had their unexpected bye week due to the Tennessee Titans COVID issue. And the Browns have only lost one game this season, and they seem to have figured out a Krabby Patty formula, a magical formula for success. Kevin Stefanski's offense is starting to look a lot like the offense did for Minnesota last year. They're keeping Baker Mayfield's attempts around 26 in terms of how many times he passes the football. And with that, it is a strong run-based team that is a lot of play action. And they're bringing the linebackers down and making one-on-one reads or even very obvious pre-snap reads for Baker Mayfield and keeping his game to the best level that it can be. But up next, we're going to have our Jacks pack and we're going to talk about you know, what went down last week, how we're looking this week, and try to make you guys a quick buck. Now stick around for that right after this short break. Alrighty, guys, and we are back with Jack's Pack. Now, this is our betting segment. This is the segment where I try and make you guys a little money. Again, like I said when we started this, a professional gambler hits about 58% of his picks when he does selections. So if you guys, you know, want to make a few dollars, I'm being pretty good at this thing. Last week, we went three and two. Took a couple of chances. Both chances burned us. 
but we went three and two last week. This brings our total to 13, 10, and two. So we are having a pretty good year so far. And let's continue that streak with this week's selection of games. First, we're gonna have the Panthers minus one over the Bears. I'm taking the Panthers in that game. I think they're gonna win by more than a point, obviously. And so I'm gonna go with the Panthers in that game. Browns versus Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's minus three and a half. I think the Browns are gonna win the game outright. Like I said, I think the Cleveland Browns have definitely found their crappy patty formula with running the ball, being destructive that way with Kareem Hunt. Obviously, Nick Chubb is out, but Kareem Hunt was the main running back on the Chiefs when they almost beat Tom Brady and went to the Super Bowl in Patrick Mahomes' first year of even starting. And so I think that having Kareem Hunt back there is more than enough for the Browns to continue to do what they need to do. And so I think they beat Pittsburgh all right. You're going to have an angry Miles Garrett, who I'm sure is going to want revenge for what he perceives as a slight and a disrespect and an unjust at the hands of the Pittsburgh Steelers when it came down to his suspension last year from the fight. Now, the next game is Tennessee minus three and a half over Houston. We saw what Tennessee just did to Buffalo. Yeah, Houston's not nearly as good as Buffalo. Now, they do have a better quarterback in Deshaun Watson, but he's going to be fighting with his left hand tied behind his back and his right hand broken. And so I'm going to go with Tennessee to run rough shot over Houston. Derrick Henry scored a couple of times last week, but he only had three yards of carry against a tough Buffalo team. Houston's not nearly that formidable. So I'm going to go with Tennessee, swallow the points of three and a half, and I'm going to go Tennessee there. New England minus nine and a half over Denver. I would not have done this before the news broke earlier today, but I would go New England, damn the nine and a half points, and I would have New England winning that game by 10 or more. Denver does not have a very good team. I mean, they struggled against the New York Jets. Their New England Patriots defense makes the Jets defense look like a JV high school. And with Cam Newton back in the fold, real rusted, even though he had to deal with COVID, and we don't know what kind of strength loss or stamina loss he had with that. But a well-rested and a motivated Cam Newton to get back on the field. I think the New England Patriots are going to win that game by 17 or more points. It won't be a close ball game at all. And then the last one is Indy minus eight over Cincinnati. I'm not sure if Cincinnati is going to win that game. Although, if I had to bet winner, I would probably pick Cincinnati. I don't know that for sure, but Phillip Rivers has been lacking and has been showing his age definitely a lot more than some of the other older quarterbacks. And I think that the Cincinnati Bengals, with A.J. Green saying he's committed to staying throughout the year, Joe Mixon still running the ball well. They have spurts and flashes in Cincinnati if they can be a really good team. They just need an offensive line at this point. And I think that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to keep it closer than eight. And so I would pick Cincinnati there. Now, just to give you a quick recap, Carolina take the points against Brown, against the Bears, sorry, take the minus one. Browns over Pittsburgh, Tennessee over Houston, New England over Denver, and Cincinnati over Indianapolis. Now, up next, we will talk about what's going down in the baseball MLB playoffs just for a quick second, then we'll have our best for last. Alrighty guys, and we are back. And now we're gonna talk about what's going down in the MLB 
Conference Series. Now, the Tampa Bay Rays have a commanding 3-1 lead over the Houston Astros, although Houston staved off elimination today. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say I was wrong again on the whole New York Yankees thing. Yeah, that didn't work out well for me. Starting pitching let us down there. So I'm going to, you know, just admit I was wrong there. That's, that one's on me. But back to who teams who did win. Tampa Bay, like I said, holds a commanding 3-1 lead over Houston. Houston save off elimination. Although I think that Tampa ultimately will win the series and move on to the World Series. Which, even saying Tampa Bay Rays and World Series in the same sentence is mind-boggling to me but that's neither here nor there and so Houston I think would have had a much better chance had Verlander obviously not gotten Tommy John surgery which takes him out this year and all of next year and I don't think he ever pitches an Astro jersey again and if I wouldn't be shocked if he never pitches in Major League Baseball again he's had a hell of a career he's had a Hall of Fame level career in my opinion especially with the championship he won last season it'll be interesting to see if he gets in but you know, baseball Hall of Fame is very fickle, but I am predicting that the Rays finish off the Astros in advance to the World Series. Now, as for the NLCS, the Atlanta Braves hold a 2-1 lead over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Just say this in your head. The Atlanta Braves versus the Tampa Bay Rays for the World Series. The Atlanta Braves versus the Tampa Bay Rays. For the World Series. Yep. That uh, definitely sounds like something. Uh, not something I would have ever predicted in life. Ever. I mean, for so long, the Rays were down. The Braves were trying to hoard draft picks and wait till they all pop. Which, in baseball, is not the best of strategy. I mean, sure, the Astros won a lot of games that way. Ultimately, when Springer and Altuve and... Bregman and all those guys grew up quickly and they won, but they didn't get put over the top until they acquired Justin Verlander. So the fact that Atlanta has done this mostly through the draft and their farm system is fairly impressive, but they have a 2-1 lead over the Dodgers. It all comes down to game four. Plain and simple. If game four is the Dodgers, I do believe that the Dodgers will win the series and then they will go into the World Series versus the Rays for the Dodgers final ability to stop winning all these pennants and not winning the chip i mean they keep winning their division and then not winning the chip as a dodgers fan it has to be the single most frustrating thing ever because you just wait for october to be let down it's like halloween playing a cruel trick on you every year it's like ha ha you want you want your division gets to october ha 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 you're gonna fold and you have halloween with all the skeletons of your past division championships in your closet going Another year, another one bites the dust. I'm sure Dodgers fans at this point have a tombstone graveyard of all the divisions they won and then didn't win the World Series or didn't make the World Series or flamed out in the Conference Series or lost in the Division Series. I'm sure it's just a fairly depressing situation in the Dodgers fans' front yard on Halloween. It should make all Dodgers fans cry. But you have a chance to rectify that. And I think your only chance, obviously, is to win Game 4. You got Clayton Kershaw on the bump. This is his chance to get over his demons. This is his chance to get over your team's demons, your franchise demons. The Lakers have a championship. This is the time for the Dodgers to go win one as well. Magic Johnson will be just stacking rings. It, I, Come on, Dodgers. You can do this. You can do this, Dodgers. I'm not rooting for the Dodgers. 
I'm just saying from an MLB perspective, they would rather Dodgers there. Ask Rob Manfred right now, lie to take the test. You want Tampa, Atlanta or Tampa, Los Angeles? He's going Tampa, Los Angeles. Actually, he'd prefer Houston, Los Angeles because a villain in Houston versus a, oh my God, LA might actually do this story in the Dodgers would be the preferred. I don't think Houston come back from 3-1 unless he start beating trash cans and wearing monitor testers again. So in that case, I think obviously he would prefer a Tampa and Los Angeles World Series. Dodgers, you got this. From a rating perspective, please have this. Because otherwise, baseball is going to have a very low-rated World Series between Tampa Bay and Atlanta. But I don't think the Los Angeles Dodgers can do it. So we're going to have Atlanta-Tampa. Based on my predictions, we're going to have Atlanta and Tampa Bay in the World Series to fight this out and what turned out to be a very competitive and scrappy MLB season. I like the 18 format. I'm a huge fan of the 16 team format. I think they should really think about keeping that in there. It kept more franchises alive longer. It didn't have the in a traditional season. You didn't have rookies getting called up towards the end of the year because their team was seventh. Or their team was eighth, 10 games out. Or it's the correction, their team was ninth or 10th. You know, five, six games out of eighth, 10, 12 games out of sixth with 20 games left. Where you're not going to catch up. So you start calling up rookies, giving them some MLB experience. As opposed to if it was an eight game race, you're fighting until the last possible day because you never know. And so I think they should keep the 16 team playoff. That was a good idea. Now, ultimately, did anybody shock anybody else no but it kept more franchises alive longer and kept postseason baseball more spread out around the country but that's just my opinion up next we're gonna have best for last which is going to be the sec football's battle with covid over the last few days or so Alrighty, guys, and we are back with Best for Last. Now, in this Best for Last, is usually you know Thursday night football recap. But thanks to a few COVID outbreaks and just like everything else in 2020, we had to adjust. And so we had a compelling story and an interesting story in the SEC coming out about they're dealing with a couple of COVID outbreaks. We're gonna start off with the actual outbreak. The Florida Gators had an outbreak of about 19 players and staff and subsequently had to postpone their game versus a reeling LSU program. Now, LSU's probably thinking they're lucky stars that this happened. Why? Head coach Ed Ogeron stated that LSU probably would not have had their starting quarterback in Miles Brennan and would have had to roll either freshman TJ Finley or freshman Max Johnson off the bus in the swamp for their first start. For our already struggling LSU team who's one and two for the first time since 1994 with arguably the worst defense in LSU history that would not have been a good environment add in the fact that you would have had to deal with a pissed off Florida team who believe they should not have lost their game last week and that would have just been a bad mix for LSU now in terms of Florida Reports are that all the players are asymptomatic. You would have never known if they didn't test every day and they were tested positive. And so they're going to move their game to December 12th, one week before the SEC title game. And this was put in the 
provisioned by the SEC, just like the ACC. I'm sure the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the Big 10 are all going to have these built-in automatic bye weeks where everybody is off at least one or two weeks throughout the season. In case there's a rescheduling that needs to be done, you can just shift it to the first available bye week, which happens to be the last week of the season for Florida and LSU. Now, the other COVID news in the SEC was Alabama head coach Nick Saban contracted COVID along with the athletic director, but they went in the building, tested, test came back positive. They both immediately went home. And according to Nick Saban's daughter, which she got permission to say that she mentioned it in her tweet that her father was coaching practice from his couch via Zoom. Zoom has taken over the world, but he was coaching from his couch via Zoom. Now, this raises the question of Okay, if nobody else tests positive on the Alabama staff and the team, do they play their scheduled game number two versus number three against Georgia? I would say yes. Now, Nick Saban still wants to coach the game. How would you do that? It's simple. Lock him in a room by himself. Have him with a headset. He's going to be on the field. But have him, lock him in a room by himself with a headset. Put him in the booth and say, hey, this is how you're going to coach the game. Now, there's been a few other suggestions like we saw one coach, I think at the high school level, coach from a crane. So they were, he was socially distanced. He was above everybody. He could still coach from a crane. Other people have said put him in the ESPN Booger McFarlane Monday night, basically crane, where they wheel him back and forth and raise his levels and stuff like that. Put him on something like that where he can just roll down the sideline and be intuitive and right there, interactive with his players still to an extent. But I think the area, if they still want him to be able to coach, because Coach Saban is asymptomatic, that they put him in the booth in his own private room. They've got a ton of rooms up there. Put him in his own private room in the booth, hook his comms up, and he can coach from up there. Coach Saban doesn't call plays on offense or defense, so it wouldn't be a big change. It would just be overseen, and I'm sure he'll have first dibs of the red phone on the sideline to talk to anybody he needs to talk to. And so that is what's going down in the SEC. We'll keep a careful eye on the situation in the SEC with COVID along with the rest of the country and what they're dealing with in terms of how they're responding to the coronavirus outbreak in collegiate athletics. But that is all we have for the day. This is a great show. I'm really enjoying doing this. This is episode 28. Man, it's been 28 episodes already. And so we're going to keep these things rolling every Friday. Don't forget to follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports. And of course, subscribe to us on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. Tell your friends. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.